the idea that John McAfee was getting paid $200,000 to make a tweet about a coin was was absolutely obnoxious. And that was the kind of stuff that needed to stop and, you know, more or less did. So what we tried to do on our pod was create a space where we didn't really talk about the price. We didn't really talk about, you know, oh, here's all these triangles and all these different things. We talked about what was happening behind the scenes. Right, it is time to have a little roundtable episode, and we are here with Brett Ritchie. Uh, Brett is the well, you know what? He has something to do with Blitz Predict. I can't remember the job title. I think it's CEO, founder, something like that. Why don't you tell us uh, who you are and what you do, and what's awesome about you? Yeah, I'm Brett Ritchie, the CEO of Blitz Predict. We are building a betting exchange mainly focused on sports esports and politics and we're building it on top of augur 0x on the ethereum blockchain and using die so sort of building on maker as well so pretty exciting times in the space speaking of die they just got listed on coinbase which was cool like today yeah they were on pro but now they're on like the retail like side actual yeah yeah so yeah, that's, that's super cool. exciting I'm also here, uh, Adam oh, Levy, yeah. also <laughs> here in the podcast. But uh, yeah, it's it's good to be here. Good to have a little chat with both you guys. Yeah, I forgot to introduce my co-host and the person who put us together. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is uh, the reason we're here is because you've known Adam for uh, how long? Probably ten or twelve years. Through yeah, twelve years I would estimate through poker. We were both sort of pros around the same time during that poker boom. The glory days of poker, which was a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, definitely was a lot of fun. It's, it's changed a lot, uh, some for the better, uh, some for the worse. But yeah, it's uh, you know it's still around. So I'm excited to break into the, to what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about the intersection of crypto and poker. We're going to be talking about the intersection of crypto and gaming, crypto and sports betting, crypto and esports, all of it and how it all ties together. I got a question on Twitter today with somebody and they were asking like hey you know can you go into the intersection of poker because without poker maybe crypto doesn't get a lot of the value that it gets and i had to say look unfortunately uh yeah that probably did have something to do with it but it was also kind of on the back of calvin Iyer, who at this point i don't know that i wanted to have anything to do with crypto but um when was the first time that you actually touched cryptocurrency with relation to gambling or poker or anything like that I got my first Bitcoins at $100. So I bought, and it was to play poker. Post Black Friday, when the government shut down kind of the offshore sites, Poker Stars, Full Tilt. Seals with clubs. Or yeah, seals, seals with clubs. So I bought 100 Bitcoin for 10K, which in retrospect, it would have been better to hold. But I instead, <laughs> I jumped in a 33 Bitcoin buy in PLO game. So I had three buy ins to play heads up PLO against whoever was sitting there. And I basically just immediately dusted it in like, Oh no, probably less than an hour. And I was like, all right, whatever. And I went back, I was living in New York city at the time, kind of playing underground poker games. And so I was like, all right, I'll just go back to kind of the live cash grind, whatever. And then Bitcoin ran up to a thousand and I was like, "Ah, I missed it. You know, I was too late. (laughs) And, and so it really wasn't until 2017 when I got back into crypto i was always sort of a fan i was never like against it but one of the problems i had with it was i never heard a negative against it which certainly started hearing in 2017 but Mm -hmm. 
I was in the bubble of early adopters of poker players. So I heard either I don't care or like these really bullish things. And I tend to sort of not just try and join the herd, although certainly 2017 showed the power of joining that those type of herds. But I didn't see that negative case that I could kind of weigh these positives I was hearing against. And so I just kind of stayed out of it. So I see that as like something that happens in my own mind too. When everyone is all in and super happy about something, I'm like, there's got to be something wrong here. I, I need to find the negative. Like everybody can't be happy and all in about something. Like there's got to be a downside. I agree. It almost makes me not do something when everybody's like, no, this is the best. And we've said it a million times on the show, but the reason I got into crypto was I just noticed everybody smarter than me was doing it. So that's that's kind of how I started to maneuver my way in there. You mentioned a couple of things and I want to, our, our audience has some intersection with poker, but I want to explain some of these things like, like clubs with seals, clubs with seals was, or sorry, seals of clubs, whatever. <laughs> it was literally the, the place that you gambled with Bitcoin and it was around for a while to I think they used to have one, two Bitcoin, no limit, which was like a game that ran on there pretty frequently. And you'd be, you think back on that now and you're playing essentially the biggest game in the world because yeah. the biggest game that runs consistently is 4,000, 8,000, right? So I think it was two, five Bitcoin was the highest from what I remember. I don't know. But yeah, they, I know that, the, that when Bitcoin ran up from that sort of hundred to a thousand, they had to keep adjusting the tables because, or their rake because the rake just kept being really high. They had to keep dropping the rake because they're, you know, they're taking some fraction of a Bitcoin out of each pot. Well, Bitcoin just 5X, yeah. so they're now taking instead of three bucks, it's 15 or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting kind of gambling with these really volatile currencies. It's like you're parlaying it almost, you know, you're really kind of, I don't know, turbocharging the the gambling experience and those players, <laughs> those poker players who did well on seals with clubs and ended up stacking up a bunch of Bitcoin, like they basically don't have to work again if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the biggest benefits of crypto, in my opinion, is that it creates the ability for people to follow their dreams, follow their passions. And for some people that's sitting around on the couch eating Cheetos, but for some people that's creating value, creating something really awesome that the rest of the world can use. It never would have been created if there wasn't a spike in wealth brought to them by cryptocurrency or, you know, in Elon Musk's case, PayPal or something like that. Yeah. And most of the people I know that did really well are still working very hard because what else are you going to mm-hmm. do? I mean, yeah, at some point, you're sitting like, around oh, gets boring yeah. at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think for poker, you kind of go through that a little bit too, where you're like, at least in tournaments, you win the first time you win 50K or something or whatever it is. You're like, wow, I made all this money. Awesome. And then after a little bit, it just kind of returns to normal. And you're, you know, cool that that money is great and allows me to do stuff, but it's not gonna, it's not everything. So people go back to seeking, you know, a lot of uh, learning and just finding the new thing. Yeah. So clubs or <laughs> seals of clubs, clubs of seals. I don't know why I keep saying that. Seals of clubs was like the first Bitcoin piece of the puzzle and then the second one was basically bodog when bodog was still bodog and they started or might have even been bovada at the time started accepting bitcoin deposits but immediately took converting it to us dollars and that was their way to get around the law and that was where we have the intersection of calvin Iyer with his kind of foray into cryptocurrency and then for the listeners calvin Iyer is right now one of the people backing uh, craig wright and you know going around copyrighting things and 
telling people he's Satoshi and all of that nonsense. So we we can thank we can thank the poker community for for that. I don't know if he would have found crypto any other way. So going past going past like the intersection of poker again, we're all poker players, so we're probably going to delve into it. I will try to explain anything that do, that wouldn't make sense to a normal listener. But why do you think there's so much overlap between professional poker players or even recreational poker players and becoming interested in cryptocurrency? Is it strictly the risk? I think risk has a fair amount to do with it. Poker players obviously tend to be pretty risk tolerant. And I would say early adopters, obviously, of crypto. I think poker players, another thing is, as a whole, we feel, I think we tend to think of ourselves as smarter than most people. And like, (laughs) if you become good at a high level of poker, you kind of have this mentality that it just immediately translates to that same level of success in other fields, which I've certainly learned is not actually the case. I think a lot of people definitely that have have transitioned Mm -hmm. from poker have gone through a fair amount of, oh yeah, that guy that, you know, runs this studio or whatever, he's not stupid. He just doesn't really care about poker. That's why he busts his money at the table. He's just having fun. And so yeah, I think part of it is the risk tolerance. And then part of it is being good at poker, right? You're really good at making really rapid decisions when faced with imperfect information. And that fits really well into crypto because it's this constantly changing landscape where it moves so fast. Even though the technology moves slow, I would say the sort of the speculation, the hype, the sort of attention in the space has these really fast cycles. And so if you can, I'm not a trader, but the traders that can really react to the news and and all of the information the fastest, because no one has a full puzzle, right? There's not decades worth of data to look back on. It's everyone's kind of figuring it out on the fly, very similar to how the online poker boom happened. There weren't all these solvers and tools. It was really just who can figure it out the fastest. So there's a lot of similarities there. And obviously you see people are getting more sophisticated with APIs and like all these different bots and machine learning type of things and it's sort of going to go the same path of poker the fish are going to bust out if you're you know the best thing to do right the fish if you're like a, essentially a recreational trader the holding strategy would be the way to go Although again i'm not a trader but you know you're not going to be in there trying to buy the dip and all, like all this you should just find something you believe in and hold it so you mentioned a couple of things on trading. What is your opinion overall? Because I have a very, a very negative opinion of trading overall, and that may come from a place of not understanding. It may come from a place of like, um, of seeing, seeing the old stock markets and seeing the old commodities markets, and knowing how difficult and how all the data points to people basically don't beat it. So in crypto, I default to that. But do you think that there? Or know that there are people out there that are consistently beating it, and they're consistently beating it in enough of a magnitude that you can tell there's skill involved. Yeah, I would say there's a ton of skill. It's one. It's it's especially if you look at like the Bitcoin or Ethereum markets or the really big markets. They're very liquid and they're very volatile, and those two things are all a good trader needs. They don't really care what it is as long as it's liquid and volatile. They're going to figure out a way to make money. And so I think obviously if you look at people doing like 100x leverage type things, that's potentially delves more into the realm of gambling. But I think that there's definitely an edge to be had. And it's almost, I think Mike McDonald, a poker player on Twitter, put posted the other day something about it's kind of like a game of hot potato. It's a lot of these trades, certainly on maybe some of the lesser coins, but something like Bitcoin, I think that it's not going to be worth 8K in five years. I think it's going to be a lot more, but it's going to be a lot less or a lot more. 
And it's just the use case is really good. I mean, we I'll send money to somebody in Russia and it's like instant, right? And to go through the banks to, to get the money over there, it's a disaster. And so there's there's a strong use case for these Venezuela technologies. As well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm pretty bullish on certainly Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, not as much on a lot of the other blockchains. And I hate to say like innovation is not necessary, but it feels like rather than the newest chain doing the newest thing, what we need is the newest D app working with one of the existing blockchains to do something different. Yeah. And I, I get that there's not a huge incentive there. You know, the incentive is to run a huge ICO and make millions of dollars, but that's not what it doesn't feel like that's what the space need. And that's just kind of, you know, I don't want to be like old man and be like, rah, 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 no, ICOs are bad, but that's, I don't know. What do you think, Adam? I mean, I, th- I think that we all got carried away. I'd say even the people that probably had that view, even in 2017, took some stabs at certain coins that seemed like they were great. You know, op- it was just the market was booming. And yeah, we th- you're right about that. I think there is some merit to Bitcoin maximalists. Um, me, I'm personally more Ethereum truther and than a lot of other, you know, I'm I'm just interested. I believe that Bitcoin is going to, I mean, I don't know. It would be interesting in three to five years to see where the space is. I think there are going to be some coins that come out, like Maker came out of nowhere. There are certain coins that we don't even know about yet that are going to be very big players in the space, I believe. And obviously, Bitcoin and Ethereum, I'd be willing to bet, are still very much at the top in in three years or something. Most of the developer activity is happening on those two. And yeah. in that sort of Ethereum crash, it drove a lot of like the pump and dump ICO bullshit onto these other chains and these other like the, the new Ethereum, all of these this like swath of competitors to Ethereum. And I think that like all the decentralized financial activity, which is part of the ecosystem we're building in, like that's pretty much all happening on Ethereum. And I do agree that like there's a chance that the sort of the winning chain or whatever hasn't even been created yet. I think that people are getting more knowledgeable. There's a lot of work happening. And I can see the argument that it's more upside to just build your own blockchain than, than potentially build on them. But um, I don't know. I mean, for us, our focus that you have the zero X and Augur, these other protocols maker, right? And it's like for them to succeed that you need people driving adoption to them. For the whole space to succeed, you need people making this stuff easier to use for the regular person because the it's whole managing your private at all. Key, no it's a disaster even right now but it's getting a lot better so I'm, mm-hmm. yeah every year it's it's going much faster and more secure also people are learning how to protect themselves better so yeah i'm excited about the the space i think that this whole crash was it was good for like the long long-term look of the space because it it's not just about get rich quick schemes it's about like building long-term value I don't want to say that it, it was good for the space, but I, I think that it was kind of necessary almost. You yeah, know, that's I think better. Yeah, like certain people got definitely, I mean, lost a lot of money, um, invested in, I mean, there are people, including me, I'm probably like 98%, 99% down on, on some coins or something. You know, that happens, whatever. But I think we all need, like everyone needed a reality check to understand what this is, you know, and how the market works somewhat. The idea that John McAfee was getting paid $200,000 to make a tweet about a coin was was absolutely obnoxious. And that was the kind of stuff that needed to stop. And, 
you know, more or less did. So what we tried to do on our pod was create a space where we didn't really talk about the price. We didn't really talk about, you know, oh, here's all these triangles and all these different things. We talked about what was happening behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, what was being built, like Augur, for instance. Augur was exciting to me because for two reasons. One, I love the idea of decentralized betting. I love the idea that you can, like, bet on really nefarious things and it's it's okay but i also from a gambler's perspective like the idea of a new type of market that in theory i could exploit now i don't know that i don't think i know enough about trading to exploit a trading market but i feel like i could probably exploit a really slow sports book style thing on auger if i understood it correctly because that's peer to or that's paramutual or, or peer-to-peer or whatever you want to call it so uh, have you noticed any of that happening so far? I mean, yeah, right now, Augur has uh, some challenges, but it's, again, it's this sort of decentralized framework. You can use it however you want. Like somebody's using the internet to create Stormfront or like a Nazi site, you know? And so you can also on Augur, they're creating these kind of scam markets where they put a 50% fee in or they they put the end time a week before it's supposed to end. So people trade on it thinking it's legit. And then it's like, well, actually it's an invalid market. And so there's a lot of people, it's kind of social dynamics there, but what really I think is the place that Augur is going to take off is when companies like ours essentially curate it and we're the trusted stamp of approval. There's curated markets. There's not a bunch of bullshit. Like we have a very narrow focus on three categories, really sports, esports, and politics. And then, like, you know, it's going to be low fee and you know, you're going to get paid accurately if you win. And I think that's going to be powerful once people can sort of easily interact with a platform like that while still they're betting in the underlying auger markets, which can lead to these global liquidity pools instead of the sort of walled off garden of the current sports betting ecosystem. It should just be one market. Uh, the Falcons are playing the Steelers. There should just be one global order book on that event and not all this different cat and mouse games and you can only bet at some places and all that uh i yeah, do some places won't let you bet and all that yeah I, I do have a question when you say uh building on top of auger so i thought auger is somewhat similar to blitz predict so i'm kind of i, I guess yeah i don't really understand what you mean by that yeah, we are basically making Augur easier to use. We're building tools to interact with Augur. Augur itself is really complex, over 100 different smart contracts, and they're interacting together. And then their V2 that's coming out later this year is even more complex. And it's really difficult, even for like a savvy crypto person, mm-hmm. it's really it's challenging to use. And, and the other thing is it's on the Ethereum blockchain, which can be slow, especially if you're trading there are some issues that can happen there. And so what we do is we use 0x to manage essentially an off-chain order book, which will allow for like the instant trades. And then once you have your match, your Ether, and actually it's going to be in DAI when we launch on mainnet, that goes into the Augur smart contract. So you benefit from the decentralized Oracle system, which is the only way I think global liquidity will work is you have to have the decentralized Oracle. And you get the sort of um, speed of the regular world. It has to be as easy to use as William Hill or something like that. And then with 0x Mesh coming out later, I think that you'll be able to trade like these the actual Augur order book, this global order book at instant speed. And so it's it's pretty oh, cool. Sick. And we, we're just in there kind of connecting the wires and making it really easy to use. Like the end user on our platform 
if they want, they can use email, password, credit card, and they're betting in die in these auger markets. So they don't need to know anything about crypto. That's important, I think. When you're when you're yeah. talking about actually getting use case out of something, it's it's a not understanding that you're using cryptocurrencies. You mentioned uh, you mentioned a word that uh, our audience is crypto basic. I want to hone in on what an <laughs> oracle is. So yeah. can you it, can you just explain the idea of an oracle and why it would matter for betting? Sure. So oracle is basically says who wins the bet. Okay. And so if you bet Falcons versus the Steelers, at the end of the game, somebody has to say this is who won, and then the winner can get their money. And the current model is the sportsbook themselves says this is who won. And I think that's fine. That works great. Obviously, in a centralized system, they're incentivized to tell the truth. Although I've seen a plenty of scams in gambling. I don't ever really remember somebody, a sportsbook, paying out the wrong side and refusing to not honor that. But They've definitely done weird things. Like I remember one time they paid out both sides of a bet just as like a publicity stunt i don't remember yeah they'll do that they're more likely to do that if it's close or it's ambivalent then they'll pay both out but the oracle is basically here's who won and so the way auger systems work whoever creates the market assigns an oracle which is an ethereum address and generally it's going to be themselves it's called the designated reporter and at the end of the event you have about a day to come in and say okay here's who won and then it goes to this sort of waiting period where the Augur's token, the rep holders, can dispute your conclusion if you lie. And then it goes to these dispute rounds. So it's essentially if rep, which is pretty decentralized, it's, you know, the whole supply is out there. It's been out since 2014. Like you can argue that it's one of the more decentralized cryptos out there, you know, not like all in the hands of the founders or something like that. Right. And you can basically challenge. So if someone does lie, if the Oracle lies, the crowd of Augur can basically fight that and say, this guy's wrong. And so it's a pretty cool system that really, well, I think I feel pretty safe with it because you can always continue to fight if somebody's lying. You you have the people that are incentivized because they're going to earn the fee from the market. They, if you challenge correctly, you win the fees in the market. So it's like, the incentive structure is there for people to tell the truth. And the incentive structure is there for the people to, to catch them in a lie. Mm-hmm. So, and hopefully it's not there for them to tell the wrong thing. So like it would be, it would be bad if they could challenge as almost like a troll, like a pet, like a, like a patent troll or something. So they mm-hmm. could say, yeah, no, that Steelers didn't win. <laughs> and you're like, what are you talking about? The Steelers won. And you're like, nah, but they lost Le'Veon Bell. So they lost. You know, well, yeah. it's, well, you would need 51% of the network really to do that. So you would need like, a hundred million or whatever. And maybe you obviously probably less in some scenarios, but you would need a lot. I mean, it gets pretty complex. There's a whole fork thing, but essentially even if you lied to attack the network, you would have to spend tens of millions to do so. So it's like, it's right. not it's incentive to work. It's not going to happen. And yeah, and even if you cool. do have more money in the markets than, than theoretically the price of rep is should match more than the money that's in the market. So it's always sort of protected by the crowd. Speaking of Augur, my favorite use case that I heard for Augur so far was that ICOs should lock up Ethereum that they raise in Augur contracts against their roadmaps. So they would say, you know, we're going to have version one out by January of 2020 and here's our Augur contract. And if we don't, 
we lose our auger for everybody who's betting against us. I think that would, uh, yeah, if you put it in and you bet on, you would need a counterparty though to, um, for auger specifically, you need someone to bet against you. Maybe you do it at 99 to one or something, but either way, there's definitely a way. I like that idea for the sort of, because one of the most insane things of that 2017 run projects were raising like, you know, through a series F round or something like that, where you're like on a white paper, you're funded for 20 years. And I think a lot of projects haven't delivered on their promises and their sort of like technical roadmaps for various reasons. One of which might've been, they just raised too much money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really hard to align that incentive. If you give somebody a billion dollars and they're just like, well, we have this billion dollars, we can do whatever we want with it. We said we were going to do this, but we're literally not accountable whatsoever. Eh, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more soft scams and a lot like where they tried to develop off a certain percentage of what they raised and they realized they can't. And they're just like, all right, fine. Forget it. We're out. I mean, these are companies. These are startups, basically. So eventually they're just going to be held far more accountable than they have been in the past to what they're using the money for. Yeah, but the other, th- I think a lot of these projects i mean there's a ton of i think just dead scam projects that like in the real startup world just i mean like non-blockchain non-ico related um there's essentially an end date like hey this didn't work we're ending i think there's a lot of zombie projects that are just hoping that there's another run or that their coin can pump there's no incentive for them to say hey this and they just lay there yeah and then they put out maybe a monthly update and since no one knows at all like until you've shipped something you can say whatever you want in in your updates. Like a lot of these projects haven't released anything or shipped anything. And they're just, the only V1 is around the corner, like something. And I think a lot of that will never come to fruition. So uh, yeah, we'll see. And I think people are going to look back on that and, and look back on it just like the dot-com bubble. And they're going to find something to compare pets.com to. And they're going to say, like, look how much money they raised. Look how little they did. What's interesting is is now that's a, a huge business. They were just too early, which I think is another one of the problems. Not even a problem. Yeah. It's something we'll see in this space. A lot of those failed dot-com companies, there's a version of them now that are like a mm-hmm. unicorn, really successful. It's just you know, technology is challenging and it takes time to get ready for scale and like for the prime time. And certainly I think in the crypto boom, you have all these promises of a glorious future, which all sound amazing, but what what actually works today? Because yeah. a lot of it isn't even close to being possible. Yeah, oh, that's definitely true. I think Augur, we've been talking about them. I forget the head guy, uh, Joey Krug, I think his name is, but he basically said that it's like when the mainnet uh, launched last year, it was, it's like 1995 of the internet. That's where he thinks we are right now in terms of blockchain and crypto. And I I can't disagree. I think, you know, long ways and I'm pumped to see what the the future holds for it. And I do have a question kind of piggybacking off of that. The future of esports. I see that you have uh, on Blitzpredict, you have like all the games, Counter-Strike, Rocket League. Yeah. And, you know, pretty much all uh, most of the relevant ones. And so do you think esports is just going to or gaming is just going to be I mean, it already is kind of a part of our daily life. But where do you think it's going to be in the future? Yeah, I think you can look at, you know, the younger generations watching more video games than sort of real sports. And I think that for us, we like to create markets that people have always throughout human history. They want to engage in with sort of whatever 
they're watching, whatever like live event they're watching, when the outcome is uncertain, people are going to want to bet on that. And you can see like the esports betting volume has been increasing pretty dramatically. And so I don't think it's like taking out traditional sports by any means. I think it's essentially like something a bit similar, like a kind of a companion. But yeah, I think it's it's becoming more popular because players have gotten so good and also like the technology for Twitch and like to stream it. Like my brother used to watch me playing video games on the couch when we were kids. Like friends, <laughs> like it's people have always mm-hmm. watched other people play video games back in the eighties even. And so I think that it's something that is pretty exciting. And then you get these sort of celebrities, which I think helps any sport take off or any, any sort of environment. If you have the, the characters that you can, that's how poker, right? A lot of the Pelmas and Mattisals yeah. help poker take off. If you have those characters that people like engaging with, it's good for everybody in that space. Like Ninja got a lot of hate and it's like, he's making all of you guys money too, man. So like you should just be happy. So I could be wrong on this, but I feel like there's not much overlap between crypto and esports. Like you don't see uh, like a cryptocurrency backing a team or sponsoring a team. You don't see like Dash sponsoring, you know, one of one of the teams on League of Legends or something. But you see it in poker and I'm wondering where the the disconnect is or I could just be wrong. There could be coins backing teams that I don't even know about. I think there are a lot of uh, a good amount or maybe there are not coins that I know of that are investing, but there are plenty of coins that there's plenty of esports like like being built with crypto or there's some a lot of like things like that they're very closely intertwined. I know Twitch you could donate for a while in crypto to uh you know your your favorite gamer. I know the uh, Wax token. I'd be surprised if they didn't wax. sponsor somebody. Um you've Gods Unchained which is kind of like Hearthstone Hearthstone where you can ownership of your cards. I actually think crypto and esports goes really well together because the whole esports generation, right? they're all used to digital items, the in-game items. It's like they're very used to taking like real money and buying some virtual, some might call it nonsense, whatever you want, you know, or like this virtual item. And historically, it's only been used in that game. I buy this CSGO gun or whatever, and like I can't take it out of that environment. And then what a lot of these projects are trying to solve is I can now take my CSGO gun out of that game and bring it into Fortnite and things like that. The sort of... Uh, blockchain ownership can really unlock some exciting things. However, one of the main problems is all these blockchains are they're slow or they're they're not secure. It's really one of the two you have to choose between right now. And like for a game, it needs to be fast. So like I think the actual gaming element is in the very early stages. Like those games are nowhere near as good as like what yeah. you can get on Steam. But it's a glimpse of what's to come, which is pretty exciting if if it works out. We just had an interview with Marie Quaintance from Cadena, and one of the things that she was saying is so much of the stuff that's done with computing doesn't need to be done on a blockchain, and that makes the Ethereum virtual machine really bad at doing what it's doing because if you have to pay a transaction fee for every computation that you're running, it really limits the kind of program that you can create. So do you think the in the future the answer is a sidechain, or do you think in the future the answer is a better Ethereum virtual machine or something else entirely to fix the gaming issue. I mean, I'm not super technical myself, but I I would say it's definitely not all on-chain. Like Even for us, we do what needs to be done on-chain and everything else is off-chain. And I think that that hybrid approach, it, it certainly makes the most sense now. You use the blockchain really for settlement and like trust, but anything related to speed, it's just not going to be... And then you end up clogging the network. You have some like 
projects like an ex- a new exchange will do some stupid shit like clog ethereum for two weeks to try and like get attention the and like transaction mining bullshit. yeah just like <laughs> I, I think that um, anyone trying to do something like completely on chain now that has like any level of complexity to it, I think it's just too early for something like that. Or go to go to one of the other chains that really doesn't have the security that Ethereum does, even though they'll claim they do. <laughs> Unregulated yeah, not market. to name specific names or anything, but uh, like Pimp they ran said, long ICOs. I ain't mentioned nobody, no particular names. If the shoe fit. Get the fuck about the game. Was that a line from your rap video? No, that was Pimp C. I, I wish I said that, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Just so for the listeners, you can go ahead and check the show notes. If you want to see what's going on with Brett here, he is in a rap video from the World Series of Poker in 2011 <laughs> that I was shown right before we got on the air. And no. I would say that it is I said my immediate reaction to that video was it was better than Prahlad Friedman. And I don't know how you feel about that, but it definitely catchier than poker is fun. Yeah, I ain't dead yeah. yet. I, <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. And how'd you get into rap? Just, yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, it doesn't seem like, uh, it was, was it just something you picked up in high school or college or something? Yeah, I, I grew up, I just always liked rap. And uh, actually the first show I ever did was my friend in high school, Andrew Mason, who ended up founding Groupon, he was like doing a punk show. And so I opened up for him as DJ Eskimo because I had like a puffy (laughs) white coat. And even though I wasn't a DJ, I was a rapper. And then I just, um, I karaoke'd a Biggie song. And then um, in college, my friend, senior year, he, he was doing an album for his like senior project. And so that was like the first verse I ever wrote was for a, a song on that album. Then we actually started a group after that, moved to Boston and uh, then New York and sort of, you know, more like a hobby, I would say. It never really went anywhere, but it was fun to yeah. do it. And I just, you know, rapped and, and just put some stuff out for fun. I, I still do it a lot. It's really cool. I like freestyling. It's uh, it's just fun to do. That was the most casual I'm friends with the founder of Groupon ever. I know. I'm just named. I'm like Phil Helmuth here, name dropping. Actually, I haven't talked to him. <laughs> we kind of lost touch after college. And then like once he blew up, I mean, I'm not going to be the guy like, oh, hey, buddy. Remember when we were friends? So, but anyway, good for him, man. Wish him the best. Wasn't Phil Helmuth an advisor of uh, Blitz Predict or is? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we got another. Yeah, there yeah, yeah. Go. But he's the well, king he, name he invested, So he invested money in, in equity in the company. And so then, like people during the ICO, they're like, "Oh, you like paid Helmuth to show you?" And I'm like, "No, we didn't." He put his money in, but um, you know, whatever. People didn't really want to hear that. Uh, <laughs> like, if you don't like Phil Helmuth, you're looking for reasons not to like him, and so like you're not going to let facts get in the way of your sort of dislike of Phil. Helmuth. Yeah, you're biased. Yep. So I love Phil. So uh, yeah, he's great. I mean, look, if anybody in this chat should not like Phil, it's Adam. That's and Adam loves the guy anyway. <laughs> he's, he's fine off the felt. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned Phil Helmuth being uh, part of the project. How did he let the V-Chain Thor thing get out of hand? How is he not pimping his own project instead of going on and being like, hey, it's V-Chain. Well, he was, he was an advisor for like, so he just, he invested you know, a small amount for, for us. It's not like he's like a huge shareholder. And, uh, he was signed as a he talked to me about it. he's like is this okay i'm like yeah because we're not a competitor with decent bet 
And uh, I actually know those guys. I certainly wish them the best. I, I was totally fine with that. And it's like, I'm not going to stop a guy from, uh, you know, a deal or something like that either. And uh, again, like, like decent bet is more of uh, similar to how Augur would be. So they'd be a potential like compliment to us. But, uh, you know, we're going the Augur Ethereum route and they're over on VeChain, which is something we did not uh, feel like doing. Cool. <laughs> All right. I'm sure there's more to that statement that no, I no, that I no, no, no. I like I like the V chain guys too. It's just like I, a lot of people wanted like I want to be where like the main development work is going. So yeah, there's definitely no no shade intended by anything there. Uh, I wish them all the best. There's a website and I can't remember the name of it now off the top of my head, but there's a there's another there's a website that uses a metric of how much development activity is happening on a chain to figure out their value. I think it was like git cap or something or hubcap i don't know but i I thought that was a pretty interesting metric to think about when you're thinking about which chains are valued high or low or whatever you want to come up with as far as your number that the ones that have the most work being put into them are very likely the ones that are going to stick around because they're going to have the most advanced technology maybe but that's also like easily gamed i think if it's GitHub, GitHub pushes commits, like what's the metric, you know? And like how, how yeah. be, like you can have a bunch of like shitty commits that are useless compared to like one really strong commit that really makes a difference. So I, again, I'm not a developer, so I'm not sure exactly what metrics they'd be using, but I would still be wary. I think it's a good, a good idea, but you see it with the sort of DAP rankings and a lot of these random games are like, Oh, we have 5,000 daily users and it's almost all faked. So I I think that there's still a lot of um, it's still a very wild west ecosystem. And I would uh, be a little wary. again, I'm kind of like we're just doing Ethereum and we haven't even looked at these other chains at all. It's not worth the developer time to like, is there a better option? Like to me, if there is one later, it'll be more obvious. And then again, we're building on on these Ethereum protocols. So like if they were to leave, then it's then this is a situation we'd look at. But, you know, just for us now, it doesn't make any sense. What, where do you see sports betting, you know, years from now? I, I guess I'm just a futurist guy, but uh, yeah, let's do it. It seems like, you know, sports betting is becoming a, a lot, large part of our lives, like legally now. And is it just going to be you can just bet live at the game or something? Like, what I mean, I guess this is a kind of a basic question, but how does blockchain really help uh, sports betting? Just, just for the you know the basic bitches out there. Yeah, yeah. So one, I think that the writing is on the wall for the bookie model, the sports book model. The I'm gonna take your money, casual guy, and I'm gonna block all the pros from my site. I think that we're gonna head to a much more efficient marketplace, which is something that we're really excited about being a part of. And cool. I think blockchain helps because you can have. I, I think you need decentralization to reach a global liquidity pool. I think you've seen it with Bitcoin is essentially this global behemoth now. And if there were, if it weren't decentralized, there were e-gold and things like that before. So I think the only way to achieve global liquidity is through decentralization, particularly through decentralized Oracle system. And, and then um, these sort of protocols like an auger where you know, we're, we can be like Exxon tapping into the oil well of, of Augur is the oil or something like that. And then the other area where blockchain really helps is the sort of transparency layer. Like you go on Twitter, there's all these clowns that are like, I'm winning 70% oh, of my God. bets, buy my picks, all this bullshit. So yeah. 
we have it set up where you can make a pick or you know make your prediction and it's we have sportsbook odd feeds right so it has to be it's time stamped against what the true market odds are you can't say i got plus four if it only hit plus three and you're then hash of your prediction goes to the ethereum blockchain because we don't want the information there if you do want to like sell it later or something but you can essentially prove it if the hash never gets changed in our database then you can be sure that that prediction on the blockchain is accurate and so it just can really bring transparency to like space rife with like fraud so i think that those are the two main things that i'm excited about and they happen to be the two things we're doing so it's pretty cool yeah I've always loved the idea of the sports betting, you know, the guy on Twitter that's like, give me 20 bucks for my picks or whatever. You know that they're running both sides of that account. They're like, okay, my pick of the day is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the other account that they have more different followers on is my pick of the day is the Jacksonville Jaguars. And like, they're going to be right 50% of the time. And then eventually when those accounts are on opposite ends, one of them's going to run good. Now they're going to look great. That's like the scam mm-hmm. as old as time. Yep. And we have some defenses to prevent against someone from creating like 10,000 accounts. Like you're going to have to pay some small amount to record your predictions to the blockchain. Nothing insane. It's really just there's a fee, like a gas fee obviously involved. And then it's just to prevent the randomness of someone just creating a ton of accounts to spam. And and I think that uh, you'll have not that many people can beat those markets. And I think people are going to learn that there's a huge gap between what the public understands and what the sort of bad gamblers like us understand and like what's possible and what's actually happening yeah, you look at a sports bet and you see a 10 percent a 10 percent on a winning bet which means that you have a five percent edge to overcome which is something that a peer-to-peer exchange or or paramutual wagering or uh sports exchange whatever you want to call it, it used to be called wsx used to be one of them they eliminate that requirement of a house vig of five percent like augers I, I remember looking at this, but Augur was close to like 1%. Well, it's whatever you it's, make. You can, I think it's 0 to 50%. So anytime you create a market there, you can put pick your own fee. But exchanges like Betfair, they, they do the peer-to-peer betting, but they still charge like 5%. There's some out there that do like 2%. Potentially, if you're high volume, it gets down to 1%. So the problem is like we saw this in poker too. You have lower fee sites that will come out. I've never seen one win in daily fantasy poker or sports betting where you t- challenge a bet fair just on low fee because they have so much liquidity. Like you challenge DraftKings, we're low fee. Okay, no one cares. They want to turn their $20 into a million. You don't have that. Right. Same with poker. L- low rake. Okay, only pros care. As soon as the promotion runs out, they're all gone. The recreational players are still on party poker or whatever. So I think you need more than... um I think it's a great piece. Like for us, really the fee, we want to be as low as possible, but that alone is not enough at all. And that's why liquidity is our main focus. And I think that the global liquidity is really what can separate these new systems from even the very best of the old guard. So based on what you just said there, would you say that more rake is actually better? (laughs) (laughs) I think just more users is better regardless of rake. (laughs) It's how I would say it. Uh, just a poker reference. Uh, if you get it, cool. If you don't, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's too much to explain if you don't get it. But the, it's it's related to Doug Polk, so there's there's yeah, some there, overlay. Yeah. There's <laughs> the intersection of poker and crypto. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if he counts as crypto anymore. I don't know when his last video was, but but yeah, he's he's traveling the world or something. So. <laughs> 
anyway, so there's there's a ton of intersection. Uh, liquidity is important. We've discussed because yes, twenty pe- people do want to turn twenty dollars into a million dollars. That's why uh, DraftKings can get away with some of the things that they've done. I I remember waking up one day and DraftKings took away all affiliate bonuses. Like they had been paying rake back, and they're just like, nah, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, which I couldn't believe. I was like, there was a period where it was they would give you a millionaire maker entry, which was like twenty dollars, and that was your referral plus you get a percentage of what the people make. So I would go around telling people, I'll give you forty dollars to open a DraftKings account, and I get half of your action for your ticket that you get or whatever. So I broke even, but then I was going to have a future income, and nope, not unless I get some unreasonable number of people to sign up every every month. So yeah, and I mean to be fair. They, I talked to them We because when we were in Daily Fantasy before this, we created a mobile app and I asked, I tried to, it was like, can I get anything in like writing? Because they, they, in their terms, it was, we can end this at any time. And they were like, yeah, right. like too bad. You needed to be probably like a Roto Grinders level or, you know, one of the really high user bases to get any other kind of deal with them. And, uh, and then also when that happened, they had to fight like these really expensive state by state legal battles, which... I mean, they pretty much brought on themselves with that really aggressive marketing campaign. But at the yeah. same time, like it looked like it was just this crazy upward trajectory. And then the, again, sod in poker, right? The government can come in and really make life difficult for you. So I think they had to pretty much cut costs wherever they could. And I, I think they've done a pretty impressive job to be positioned where they are in New Jersey and in sports betting, given that, again, like it was self-inflicted for the most part, but they made it to the other side of that. Yeah, they made some good moves with that. Getting in everybody's face is actually probably what started with poker, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't feel that way because Black Friday was so far removed from from the heyday of the advertising. But, like, party poker was on every single commercial on ESPN for a period of time. You just you would watch Chris Moneymaker for the hundredth time, and then they would cut the commercial and be like, oh, party poker. It was very yeah, on your would, face, yeah. And that would garner the attention of somebody who wants to make a run for New York Attorney General or something like that. So that's uh, one of the things that excites me about this space is that the risk isn't there. As long as you're not on an exchange, which they could be shut down, but as long as somebody's running a node somewhere, Bitcoin can't be shut down. Ethereum can't be shut down. So there is no pull the rug out from under you. Now, if you're holding Tether, eh, you never know. but yeah yeah, i guess uh i feel like we've covered uh, a lot of uh the bases within sports betting and and gaming and and just crypto in general i want to give extra props here for using die and as opposed to tether or other centralized yeah um, i love die die is pretty sweet so we're excited about that and we're not even all bets will be in die not even ether or anything else just die that's super commendable because it's not it was definitely not an easy decision to make before coinbase was at least helping and it was probably still not and you know you made it before coinbase well, but even to today, be fair it's auger is only going to have the option for eth or die so the props should go to them much more than us you could give right. us maybe tiny minuscule prop for die over ether choice but people just you're all gambling can be volatile enough as is especially yeah. for a long term like the 2020 election it's already pretty risky like do you want to be long ether also no matter what a lot of people don't so right. I, and then you can represent it like dollars in the ui so that, again the casual guy email password credit card he's betting in dollars but it's really die and auger markets and like all these cool things 
underneath and it's just hidden from the uh, casual end user which is the important thing that is it can't be harder to use it has to be as easy to use as what currently exists for mass adoption to occur and i'm not i'm not saying mass adoption is going to come like anytime right now over the horizon but it it is something that is that's the certainly the medium to long-term goal of this space is really okay, the hype showed up in 2017. Now the adoption and like the real use cases, I think are going to drive the next real phase of excitement. Off the top of my head, the only thing that I've ever used that was really built on blockchain that didn't feel like I was using something antiquated or something blockchain-y was Steam or Steemit, sorry. And at the same time, it became absolutely awful because of the way the the algorithm worked, incentivized shitposting. So they... They created something that actually was nice and user friendly, but it wasn't fun. So that's the it's yeah. super tricky. I like Portis along those lines. We're working with them. We have the Portis wallet on our website now. You can check it out. And essentially, you can manage an Ethereum address with email password. So it lets you, you can send, you receive, do all that without having to do It's your own custodial Ethereum address, and you don't have to uh, essentially deal with any of the more challenging aspects. Oh, that's pretty cool. So they so they do some sort of like like your password becomes your cipher to your private key kind of thing. I forget exactly how it works. It's similar to how the password managers deal with the the sort of encryption. They don't have just some centralized database of everyone's private key. I forget exactly how it works off the top of my head, but it's it's pretty cool. We're happy to be working with them. Cool. Looks so yeah. Tell us a little bit about where we can find you, where we can find like the projects you're working on. Like we've mentioned Blitz Predict a few times. Is that the only thing yeah, that's that you're it, working man. on or do you have others? Uh, no, I'm all, I'm all in on that. Like very, <laughs> much, very, very much so. So yeah, that's all I'm doing. And yeah, Blitz Predict pretty much anywhere. Twitter, it's probably the best place. And then Brett Ritchie on Twitter is probably the best place to reach me. But we're Discord, Telegram, Facebook, Reddit. We have a Bitcoin talk thread that no one ever posts in because why would you ever do that? But uh, it's there. <laughs> Not anymore, yeah. Yeah. Um, are you going to go to the World Series of Poker this year? I, mean, I live in Vegas right now, so oh, okay. I'll be like probably Weekend Warrior, a few events. I know there's a $500, $5 million to <laughs> no rake things tournament. off. Yeah. Oh, that's no rake? Oh, your first yeah. buy-in is no rake. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I'm definitely going to play that one, you know, some amount of bullets on the weekend. Yeah, I think I'll play in like the three to five tournament range this summer, I would estimate, you know, depending on time and and all that. But I'm in the city, so it's pretty easy for me to get down there. Yeah. What is the best restaurant in Vegas? Best restaurant in Vegas. I got to say Bouchon at the Venetian. I I love their brunch. It's great. Yeah. I've never eaten there for dinner, but it's uh, every time I'm there, I really like it. Yeah. That's the that's the one on the the, uh, cafe like kind of by the pool, right? They're no, like and it's up in the, the elevator by the hotel. It's on like I, the 11th floor. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's in Venezia Tower, right? I've been there. Not sure. That is good. It is very good. All right, good suggestion. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, we're not financial advisors. Anything we say is uh, just opinion. It's fun. And uh, Adam and I are idiots. Brett is not. But <laughs> we don't take any of our advice without doing your own research. And all investments have inherent risk. So for Crypto Basic, I've been Brent Philbin, and I'm here with Adam Levy and Brett Ritchie from Blitz Predict. Thanks for tuning in. All right. See you. Thanks for having me on, guys.